0: Welcome to this week's episode of Seen and Heard Industry Updates for the Modern Dairy Family. I'm Darby Toth, a Technical Field Services Representative with Western United Dairies.
1: And I'm Melissa Lima, the North Coast and Organic Field Services Representative with Western United Dairies. Hey, Darby. Hi,
0: how are you?
1: Good, good. Friday afternoon. We're recording a little later than usual, but I'm slowly
0: sliding into the weekend here for sure. I was going to say, I'm trying to wrap up the day.
1: Um, so we'll just, without further ado, we'll jump right in. There's, you know, it's been a sort of knock on wood, a quiet week. Um, Lots of people are out doing their corn chopping, spreading manure, trying to get the winter crops in the ground. So dairymen are busy and we just want to bring them an episode that gave some good information that they could listen to while they're chugging along in the tractor out there. So Annie's here with our market update and some info about the quota discussion and the hearing that's going to happen next week. Um, We're going to have a Cattle Council update from our board member and the Cattle Council Vice Chair, Cody Nicholson Stratton. And then Paul Souza had a great webinar this week about the CV salts program. So we are just going to replay that in our episode. It's about 20 minutes long. There's some really good questions and answers. So I thought that would be a good way to fill members in on what's going on. That's a pretty important issue that's happening in the Central Valley right now.
0: I agree, and you did such a great job of it already that it uh, seems smart to reuse it one more time.
1: Absolutely, and it affects 650 dairies, so if you're a listener, there's probably a pretty good chance that this stuff kind of applies to you or it's something you should just kind of keep your eye on because it's important
0: stuff that's going on, so. Yeah, so let's get started, and we can jump right in with Annie and a market update.
2: Well, thanks, Darby and Melissa. Um, I'm glad to be here for another market update. And it seems like, you know, fall may not quite be here already, but there's definitely a, a fresh air out there um with, you know, a decent mood in dairy markets. So between the CFAP announcement that dairies are gonna get a payment of dollar twenty per hundred weight for the equivalent of nine months of production, and the fact that most dairy commodity prices went up this week, it, it feels like a, a nice a nice week in dairy markets. So the largest game Uh, Came from blocks. They gained 13.81 cents this week and they're now just shy of $2 per pound. You know, the even better news with all that is that this ascending trend that, you know, started maybe three weeks ago is that it has more room to go up. So the CME block price continues to go up. It settled at $2.54 a pound yesterday. Um, It even went a little bit higher a couple days ago. This means that USDA prices. Will follow suit, and so they might not reach quite as high, but they definitely still have ways to go up, which is definitely welcome news. Uh, barrels also did well. The USD prices went up eleven cents this week, but they really remain um they're really lagging below block prices. They're still at dollar sixty three per pounds, and even the CME uh, barrel prices don't have much to offer right now. Um, they're also at $1.63. sixty three. So. Um, overall, USDA released its cold storage report this week, and it pointed to an increase of three uh, percent year over year for American cheese stocks in August. Um, total cheese stocks, though, were up only one percent, and uh, the the main difference there is that the Swiss cheese inventory was down by quite a bit. If we move to the USDA non-fat dry milk price, it finally hopped over the dollar mark, but just barely. So the price gained a penny, and we're now at a dollar. Uh, 90 per pound. So just barely over. Uh, CME prices continue to move upward slowly, and they reach dollar. eight per pound, um, which is very uh, welcome news. Dryway prices leaped to 3.26 cents. That's quite a big amount for this commodity that usually doesn't work really fast, um, so this is, this is welcomed also. Uh, the price now stands at 35, 35 cents a pound. Uh, butter, on the other hand, was the one commodity that did not manage to go up this week. It dropped just, just a. a Penny um, to dollar forty eight, but the the price really has been hovering without, within within a dollar since mid August. Even CME spot butter were um, kind of close to that. They went up a little bit. Now they're they drop back. Um, you know, earlier this week, dollar yesterday. Um, so still, it seems like every time we move away from that dollar fifty, the market seems to become a little uh, uncomfortable. And really, the cold storage report did not add much enthusiasm um, with the news that stocks were up 22% over a year ago in August. And so that was the largest bump since April. Um, In other USDA reports, the milk production report came out this week. Nationally, the milk production was up 1.8% from a year ago. Um, part of most of the surprising news I'd say in that report is that California's production in August also came in up 1.8%, which was a little bit surprising considering all the heat and the issues that we've had um, But this is what the report says, and it's not because uh, cow numbers were up. It's more because an increase in milk per cow of 40 pounds was observed. And of all the other top five dairy states, Wisconsin was the only one experiencing a decrease, and they were down 0.3%. So this concludes uh, the market update, but before I... um Pass the mic back to uh, Melissa and Darby just a quick note on quota um, because there's a hearing that's going to come up next week before our next podcast i'm sure we'll update you on that next week, uh, but the hearing is on September thirtieth and October first, and we've had questions in how can members participate in this hearing if they're interested and so there's a there's a few ways um, that you can participate um, one is that you can file a written statement and you can send that to CDFA either by mail at 1220 N Street, Suite 315, Sacramento, California, 95814. Or you can also submit an email to CDFA um, at CDFA.legalOffice at cdfa.ca.gov, and if you didn't hear um, some of those, well, feel free to reach out to us, and we can, we can definitely uh, confirm all that for you, and also you can submit testimony, uh, testimony under oath and so um, the hearing officer will be determining that you can register if you would like uh, to be placed in the queue otherwise if you not if you don't pre-register and you want to do it the day of the hearing officer will just determine um, the order in which you can um, testify and so that those are the two ways that you can participate actually there's a third wife you don't want to just listen in uh, this is a virtual hearing and it's going to be held via teams um, again, you can find all this information in our newsletter, Uh, from September 24th on our website. Uh, Contact me if you have any questions. And as a reminder, this hearing will pertain only to the petition from United Dairy Families of California, which um, was a result of a survey and analysis process that was conducted by Dr. Bosick and Matt Gould. And basically, their petition is requesting a referendum to consider a sunset of the quota implementation plan in March 1, 2025, and also bringing all the regional quota adjusters to the same level as Fresno, King, and Tulare Counties, which is $1.43 per hundredweight. weight. Again, any questions, feel free to reach out to me, Annie, at wudairies.com. Um, and hopefully uh, you found this helpful, and we will talk next week.
3: Hi, I'm Jessica with PG&E. 811 is a free service to keep our communities safe. Before you do any digging, PG&E will mark your gas and electric lines so you don't hit them. Call 811 before you dig. To learn more, visit pge.com safety.
0: Well, thanks so much, Annie. And now I'm excited to listen to a conversation with Melissa. You got a chance to talk to Cody Nicholson Stratton. And you guys talked about some things that are going on at the Cattle Council. So let's listen into that. Thanks Darby and welcome to the
1: show Cody Nicholson Stratton. Thanks for being back with us today Cody.
4: Absolutely glad to be here.
1: Cody as Darby mentioned you're here to talk to us and give us a quick update on the California Cattle Council of which you're currently the vice chairman and um, it just seemed like a really good time to check in about Cattle Council because there's been a lot going on. Um, It's been a crazy year overall but especially the last couple of months and Cattle Council has set some new priorities and has some exciting things going. So Cody, would you mind really quickly just giving us um, a really brief overview of what you'll talk about, and then we'll kind of dive in subject by subject?
4: Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely been a crazy year. What was unforeseen what was going to happen, and Cattle Council has been a lot more active than I think any members of the board anticipated. Um, So we're going to talk about FIRE as well as GHGs, and then the resiliency campaign, which is going into phase three now.
1: Great. So jumping right in, obviously fire has been a big topic everywhere. We've talked about it for several weeks in a row on the podcast, Cody, but can you give us a little bit of an update about what California Cattle Council's priorities are in regards to fire, fire awareness, and and that whole issue?
4: Absolutely. So we began actually early on by funding a fire study on fuel load reductions through the grazing of cattle, and that came to fruition and was now published Um, right as all of this began. So that was rather timely. We have seen that gain a lot of attention, both within the industry as well as outside the industry. It was run in the Sacramento Bee. There was a really good write-up about it. And so now we're working with the author of that study to follow up and expand on it. And we're going to um, have them look at the reductions that we would have seen in GHG emissions, as well as air quality, had that feed been... Or that fuel been grazed rather than burned, um, So we're going to kind of continue to expand on the work that's already been done looking now more at air quality not just at reducing fuel loads. Um, and then really one of the big things we're doing right now is we just at our executive committee meeting this week moved forward with a uh, consumer-facing campaign that will be targeted at really bringing home the uh, relevance of grazing as well as controlled burning in reducing fuel loads and providing ecological services to the environment. And really kind of, you know, we as farmers obviously know the importance of controlled burns and grazing and reducing fuel loads and helping with wildfire mitigation, but it's not always apparent or known within the general consumer population. And so we're gonna really work at bringing that message to the forefront as we move forward.
1: Absolutely. And uh, Cody, in your experience as a range ecologist, as well as a dairyman, fire is obviously a topic you've learned about early on. And you and I have talked for years about different issues surrounding fire. And um, it's just really important more now more than ever to hit home the importance of using fire as a tool. It doesn't always have to be something we're afraid of. It's actually a really important tool that our, uh, you know, native forefathers knew about and used widely in the state of California before European immigration.
4: Absolutely, and it's part of our native ecology. It's actually, you know, there are a lot of plant communities that developed with it, and it's important to them. And so, you know, we need to really bring that back that fire suppression is not the answer. Uh, There's ways to manage our forests so that they're healthier, that our grasslands are healthier, and that we don't see these catastrophic crown fires that end up burning through entire forests and communities.
1: Absolutely. Well, and this is obviously a, a very important topic for a variety of reasons, but while we're talking about it, we also want to send out our thoughts to the Daily family. Dave, the chairman of the Cattle Council, yeah. had a really catastrophic situation a few weeks ago with the Bear Fire in Butte County, and just heartbreaking. If if folks haven't read Dave's um, write-up about what happened to his, his cattle and their family land that they graze on in the Plumas National Forest, we're going to link that in our show notes, but please just keep... Keep the daily family in your prayers. And most importantly, keep, I think, the messages to everyone to keep pushing on this issue. Keep talking to your legislators. Keep talking to community members about it. And and let's get the right resources out there so we can actually affect yeah, change. We all
4: need to be involved in this one. So I think if we can all do a little bit, we can get it somewhere finally.
1: Definitely. Well, moving on from fire, um, GHG emissions. Hot yeah, topic. Yeah, hot topic. <laughs> this
4: is a fun one. Um, so actually, we, as the Cattle Council... Uh, funded a UN FAO uh, leap committee project. We The council chose to fund it fully. Um, so California Cattle Council is actually funding this project entirely. So while it is a global effort, it's really going to come back to help us here in California and California producers. What it'll do is it'll set the gold standard in how methane emissions are measured and how they're quantified. And so this will help remove a lot of the inconsistencies we're seeing in studies, um, by the UN really setting a standard, this will trickle down to everyone. And so we'll see a level playing field across the globe as to how these emissions are measured and how they're thought of. And um, this was brought to the council by Dr. Frank Mittloner. He's going to be involved in the committee, it sounds like, possibly even the chair. So uh, we really look forward to seeing that and really seeing something standardized come out as Californian producers continue to be on the forefront of reducing methane emissions and GHG emissions.
1: Absolutely. And just some uniformity will go a long way there. And how we measure emissions from a car versus how we measure emissions from a cow is very inconsistent.
4: Yeah. So, mm-hmm.
1: Glad to see that happening.
4: And our final one, I guess, is uh, the resiliency campaign. Yes. (laughs) So this is, you've probably seen these. Um, They've been everywhere. We are now into phase three of the resiliency campaign. Um, You know, the first one started out basically just, you know, California agriculture, California ranchers, cattle producers are resilient. Now we're into phase three. And phase three is really a consumer facing um, campaign. There is going to be some that is, you know, a little more targeted towards producers, but predominantly most of this is going to be targeted towards consumers, it's going to be in high population areas. And, you know, it's really the message that additional regulation, increased taxes on agriculture really has a negative impact on California sustainability, on food security, and on food pricing. And that, at this point in time, that's not something we can handle. Um, we all know with COVID, there's been a lot of challenges facing food security nationwide. California is primate setting to produce food and produce it well. We really don't need to see food prices increasing at now. It's just not ideal. So the resiliency campaign has moved into phase three. We're really excited about this. It's really hopefully gonna help bring home that message to everyone that you know we can't handle these additional burdens right now, and that it really isn't just about us as farmers; it's about our communities as well.
1: Definitely, and you know, food pricing is one thing. Food security is another very important issue. We want to see food produced here, close to our homes. You know, grown locally as much as possible, and know that it's coming from a safe and reliable source. And Absolutely, so this definitely hopefully cements that um, in the minds of consumers, and I think we're. You, taking a lot of great steps to really highlight the the burdens that are on agriculture with some of these new taxes and a lot of new regulation seems to be coming down the pipeline
4: yeah i think so i think this is a good way to just make sure that we're all aware of the tolls that those have on not just on agriculture but on everyone
1: yeah consumers especially yeah Great. Well, thanks so much, Cody. We'll check in with another Cattle Council member next time. You'll be off the hook. (laughs) Thanks for giving us the update. Cattle Council is doing some really great work and we really appreciate um, all the forethought you guys put into these programs and and really taking it from just research to something that consumers can easily digest. No pun intended.
0: (laughs) But thanks so much for all your hard work on that. My pleasure. Thanks so much for taking time to be on today, Cody. And now we're gonna jump into Paul's segment. And like we mentioned before, this was a webinar he gave earlier this week discussing CV salts, but it was really great information in a great format. So we're gonna listen to that and just know along the way that if you have any questions, you can reach out to Paul or either of us for more information. And this is from our WUD Kitchen Table series, which airs live on Thursdays at 11 a.m. And if you're interested in listening to those, you can find a link in the update.
5: So I'm Paul Souza with Western United Dairies, the Director of Environmental Services. Uh, We're trying to reach out to members um, in different ways now with, uh, you know, the COVID and everything going on. So this is one of those ways we're doing these uh, Zoom calls on different topics. Uh, I'm going to be doing several of these. Sometimes I'm going to be, you know, kind of going over a number of topics. Uh, Sometimes I'm going to focus on one topic, and today I chose to focus on uh, one topic in specific. Uh, You can always call me with questions, or um, I'd be happy to visit. I don't have a problem visiting if if you're okay with uh, having somebody over on the dairy. Uh, Just give me a call if you have any questions on any environmental issues. Today I'm going to talk about uh, CV SALTS, which stands for the Central Valley Salinity alternatives for long-term sustainability. Um, Some of you know this pretty well. Uh, You've been attending meetings uh, and hearing about this. Uh, To others, it uh, may be new. And so um, trying to answer questions at all levels for that. First, I'm going to talk about how we got to this point. Um, And then I'm going to pause for questions. And then we'll talk about how we move forward. So salts provides an alternative compliance path for water quality regulations. To protect drinking water in the distant past, the state set groundwater quality limits equal to the drinking water standards of 10 milligrams per liter of nitrate nitrogen. Uh, This was done without consideration if those stringent water quality standards were achievable in the real world. And over time, it has become apparent that this standard has not been achievable by most regulated facilities, including uh, irrigated agriculture and dairies. So in order to get around this for dairies right now, Uh, when the Central Valley last revised the dairy permit in 2013, they included a time schedule order in that permit, giving dairies a maximum of 10 years to not have to meet the drinking water standard, but they should be coming into compliance during that time. And that 10 years was the maximum that they could legally do for a time schedule order in a permit. So that would have meant that by 2023, uh, all groundwater under dairies would have had to meet the drinking water standard. And you know, there was nobody was thinking we could do that. They were just basically buying time. Monitoring by the state, uh, the University of California, the Central Valley Dairy Representative Monitoring Program, uh, and others have found that current dairy management practices cannot meet that standard. But neither can, uh, you know, management of uh, orchards or other ag lands, uh, wastewater treatment plants, food processors, that kind of thing. So Western United has been working uh, on an alternative compliance solution, uh, and that alternative is CV salts. It's not just Western United, others in the dairy industry and other groups have also been a part of this. Uh, Anybody with a water quality permit is affected by this. Uh, This includes farmers in the irrigated lands program, feedlots, poultry farms, municipal wastewater treatment plants, food processing plants, and the list goes on. Uh, We're all in the same boat, and it's a big boat. Originally, CV salts, uh, when it started over a decade ago, was started to address long-term salinity issues in the Central Valley, and that's called the salt control program. But eventually, nitrate impacts to groundwater drinking water supplies were added and became a priority, and that's called the nitrate control program. CV salts addresses both of these, but they are treated uh, separately. So CV salts has now been adopted, and the water quality regulatory framework has changed as a result to allow for an alternative to the traditional regulatory model. Uh, Western United and others in the dairy industry, along with other permit holders mentioned above, along with environmental justice advocates, the State Water Resources Control Board, the Regional Water Quality Control Board have been at the table for over 10 years to come up with and support the adoption of CV salts. So it benefits dairies and other permitted facilities that cannot meet uh, the stringent permit requirements by providing flexibility, but it also benefits those whose groundwater is impacted by nitrates uh, by providing them safe drinking water. CV Salts gives a permitted facility, such as a dairy, uh, the option to join a local management zone to provide clean drinking water for those affected by nitrates in return for providing significantly more time to meet the drinking water standard. And I'm going to pause here just for a moment. So that's what you know, has happened to date. Uh, before I move into uh, the implementation, uh, what's coming, what's happening now, uh, are there any questions on how we got to this point in the adoption of CV salts? Maybe what's included in the regulation?
6: So, Paul, you made a comment about um, we have it extends a time period to come under compliance. So what would that time frame
5: be yeah so it's 35 years so yeah it did not completely remove you know the drinking water standard applying to groundwater it just gave us another 35 years uh, for that to be the case okay so we need to come up with technologies I mean there's still pressure um, you know in the meantime if uh, your groundwater under your dairy doesn't meet the drinking water standard you're okay but that doesn't mean you're okay forever and that we shouldn't be working on solutions we need to be working on solutions, because in 35 years, the problem that we were in before will come back to us. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay. So yeah, we still, we still need to work to, to find solutions. Uh, it just it gives us a lot more time to work on those. And you know, we've been talking about those at CVDR&P. Uh, we, we still need to be working on you know, finding solutions to this issue. Any, if anything else? Okay, uh, so now I'll move on to you know, what's happening now. And we'll be able to you know, answer questions at the end also. So the implementation of CV salts. So the Central Valley has been divided into different priority areas depending on local nitrate impacts. Uh, tried to use just a couple of slides. I've got three slides only. Uh, I was thinking some people might be on the phone and wouldn't have visuals. And so I tried to limit and not have a bunch of slides. Uh, And I borrowed these slides from a presentation from CV Salts um, as it was moving forward. So here's the the priority one and priority two areas. You can see them on your screen. Um, Modesto, Turlock, Chowchilla, Kings, Cahuilla, and Thule are in the priority one areas that got these letters from the water board. The areas in orange uh, will be getting those at some point in the future, uh, two to four years down the road. Uh, Those areas, the dairies and, and businesses with water quality permits, will be getting these same letters in those areas. Um, everybody will be getting the salt letter though. There's actually it's a little bit different for salt and uh, nitrate. So the nitrate letters, only those uh, places in the red zones got those, which is about 650 dairies uh, that got those letters. The, the state also funded two pilot projects in two of those management zones to provide guidance to all of the management zones. Uh, The two zones selected for this were the Turlock Subbasin and the Alta Irrigation District portion of the King Subbasin. This gave these two subbasins a draft um, early action plans and and documents for this, Uh, but it also gave a template for others to follow, and the state is the one that paid that through a grant so that folks got an idea of, uh, you know, what is required, what are we having to do. In late May of this year, uh, letters were sent to all permitted facilities in priority one areas by the original board, as I've mentioned, um, and it was to all permitted facilities. Uh, the letters are asking dairies to choose between pathway A and pathway B, ways of compliance. Um, but based on monitoring results so far, it looks like pathway B is gonna be the best choice for dairies. Those letters started a 270 day clock to form management zones and sum- uh, submit early action plans. That's by March of 2021 for the Nitrate Control Program. And so, this slide shows what the management zone deliverables are. Uh, The preliminary management zone proposal um, is the establishment of the management zone and things like bylaws, uh, articles of incorporation, that kind of thing would be submitted as the uh, preliminary management zone proposal. And along with the early action plan at the same time, both of those are due in March of next year, 2021. Uh, Then at later dates after the Water Board has reviewed the preliminary management zone proposal, Uh, They would uh, submit a final management zone proposal addressing any of the water board's comments. And then uh, further down the road, the management zone implementation plan. So the early action plan is to implement temporary solutions to provide safe drinking water as quickly as possible to those that need it. Uh, The discussion around that right now, it looks like it's water kiosks where folks could come and fill a five-gallon jug of water and bring it back to their home. Uh, The management zone implementation plan is going to be a more permanent solution, long-term solutions, things like connecting a small community to a neighboring community that has safe drinking water. And then as you do that, I'll move to the next slide. Uh, This slide shows um, how the temporary solutions implemented through the early action plan and the permanent solutions uh, work together. The idea is to get those temporary solutions in quickly um, you know, easier, more cost-effective solutions, and then as the permanent solutions are coming online, you can back off of those temporary solutions. You don't need to provide temporary drinking water once you've provided, um, you know, safe drinking water through people's taps into their homes uh, and just go with the long-term permanent solutions. And that's it for the slides. Um, again, knowing that folks may not be able to, to see those if they were on the phone. so. Then dairies, so by March 8th, the uh, management zone has to form and submit those uh, documents that I just talked about, but then dairies have an additional 60 days until May of next year to make the decision of joining their local management zone. Uh, Groups of permitted facilities are now working together to create these management zones and develop early action plans uh, to provide the short-term drinking water uh, within their local management zones. Management zones are locally governed, and it's important that dairy producers make sure that they are represented and understand what's happening at their local management zone. Uh, to this end, the CBDRMP has appointed dairy producers to engage with each management zone, to make sure that dairy's interests are represented as the management zone is formed, and decisions about how costs um, are being divided are also being made at those meetings, and it's important that dairy producers are at the table when that's happening. Uh, the CVDRMP has been very engaged on this issue with the goal of making dairies compliance with CV salts a part of CVDRMP membership. If you're a member of CVDRMP, that should cover uh, the requirements for C- uh, CV salts. The letters from the water board require dairies to respond. However, the CVDRMP is working on a solution where uh, they may be able to respond on behalf of their members. So it's possible that a response won't be necessary from individual dairies that are members of the CVDRMP. So it's important that you you know determine whether or not that actually happened. So you know watch our newsletter and information from the CVDRMP, including the CVDRMP website, to make sure that that in fact happened. The CVDRMP covered you um, before um, you know May, so that you can know if, whether you need to take action. You need to respond to the letter personally, or if the CVDRMP has done that for you. CV salts also has a salt component um, th- with a letter coming this fall from the regional board to all permitted facilities, regardless of what nitrate zone you're in. Um, CVDRMP has already met dairy's first year compliance obligations with the salt requirement for all CVD-RMP member dairies. That letter has been drafted that's coming out this fall. And the way it looks right now, it says if you are a member of the CVD-RMP, there is no further action required because you are in compliance with this. So that was my presentation. Um, thank you for joining. I really do appreciate it. And uh, wondering if there's any other questions on this.
6: I just had a comment, Paul, about um, the costs going forward for CV's halts and uh, and what CVD RMP has done so far. Um, we have to. Hopefully, everyone realizes that um, those costs won't be covered by CVD RMP, and there'll be additional fees that have to be. covered under each facility just not that people get confused and think oh well i paid my cbr and p dues and now uh what the heck am i having to pay this for so yeah we're gonna have to do a lot of educating as far as that goes to make sure everyone understands how that how these two programs work they're separate but tied together
5: yeah yeah i'm trying to do that that's part of why you know so i you know we've got these zoom meetings um i was asked to you know to put it on and i thought this was the um, you know, I picked what topic I was going to talk about and that's exactly, this stuff is happening right now. Uh, management zones are forming. You're right. The CVDRMP uh, folks have been paying into that for a monitoring requirement now, you know, and what I talked about here, we're talking about providing, you know, clean drinking water to folks, um, you know, different reports that are outside of what the CVDRMP is normally does. And so, yeah, there, there's going to be additional costs. There's just no way around that. Because that that is not what the CVDRMP has been providing, um, and they're going to have to continue to monitor. Although at a lower level, I actually appreciate that uh, that was able they were able to cut that down, and so there are going to be some cost savings in the monitoring. But there is this whole new thing of yeah, you know, setting up these water kiosks. Um, you know, for some folks that can't go out and get water, there may be home delivery for some. And dairy is going to have to contribute its share to those local management zones, and that is going to be a new cost to dairy. So do you know?
6: Was there, wasn't there? was there a pilot project done down in Porterville, Porterville? Yeah,
5: that's the one in the Alta Irrigation District.
6: So do you know what, what kind of costs they were looking at when they did that?
5: Or? I the, the grants were for $150,000 from the state to each of those areas. Okay. So, you know, that, you could look at that as what the cost might be. However, the cost might be a little bit lower because now everybody else has two templates to follow. They've got examples that they can look at and... Those two areas, the Turlock area and the Alta Irrigation District, are done already. They've already got drafts, and so that's going to reduce the costs further. That you know they've already got something instead of going from scratch, they just need to, you know, update it and uh, polish it up, and it's and going out the door. But it should help everybody. It helps those two the most, but everybody else can kind of look and you know what's this supposed to look like? Oh, here's an here's an example, and then let's tailor it to our own area.
6: That's good.
5: Yeah. Don't have to reinvent the wheel every time. Exactly. No, and there's a lot that's happening. Um, So the management zones are forming. uh, You know, the one up in your area, it's called the Valley Water Collaborative. I know one of the ones in the South Valley basically took the structure of that and the legal work that was done. Tess Dunham did work to set up the Valley Water Collaborative. And one of the ones in the South Valley just basically copied it and changed the names. You know, folks are looking to, you know, there's dairy producers and there's businesses on these um committees and boards that are setting up these management zones and they want to reduce costs as much as possible and so that is in fact happening
6: well i appreciate you having these meetings to help try and reach out to to our fellow dairymen and try and get the word out
5: yeah um, so it's challenging in these times when we can't meet and we're trying to use technology so um, you know we're recording this so hopefully we can use this and uh you know folks can catch this so, uh, yeah, I'm doing my part, trying to get the word out there, and we'll continue to do that. So uh, we're going to be trying to do these once a month, um, and again on other months, um, I, you know, I may be talking about you know five or six different topics, um, and other times I'll I'll pick you know one big topic and kind of go over that. Um, things for the future potentially are. Uh, these net zero initiatives to get uh, carbon emissions uh, down in the dairy industry. National Milk, uh, DMI has one, and California dairy industry has also put one out through the Clear Center at UC Davis. Uh, That's a thought I have for a future one, or just, uh, you know, a a bunch of little updates on water, air quality, and and climate change issues that are happening within the dairy industry. So, thank you. Um, I appreciate you joining, and um, Look forward to uh, more of these. Thanks, everybody. Yosemite Farm Credit is the farmer's choice for agriculture financing. As a farmer owned cooperative, we are dedicated to serving our neighbors in the agriculture community with financial products and services tailored to your operation and backed with the relationship you can trust. Whether you're purchasing real estate, making improvements to the dairy, or wanting to purchase or lease equipment, we're here to help our members prosper. Visit our website at yosemitefarmcredit.com to find a branch location nearest you.
1: All right, well, another great episode in the books. Um, Darby and I are back with special return guest, Annie Moody. Welcome back to our closer this week, Annie. I'm
3: glad to be part of this special
1: section. Yes, this is a, f- a listener favorite, the Q&A session, and we have had a lot of questions as field reps this week about the CFAP, so we wanted to just go over a few of the most common questions with you, and then just remind producers, sometimes um, if you have a question, that's not common, it's specific to your dairy, you can always, always call one of your field reps, Darby or I, or Annie, or the office, and we'll get an answer for you. So... I think um, we'll just jump right in with a couple of our questions. Darby, you had one from some members.
0: Yeah, so there's a lot of confusion, I think, how to apply this round for CPAP. Maybe we can just go over the application process and how that works with FSA. Yes, and so it, you know, last time people went directly
3: to their office. There's been a lot of differences depending on counties, Um, This time, it appears that there is a way to apply online, so if you go on farmers.gov, you can create an account um, and, you know, submit your application directly online. Um, However, this is kind of a a new thing and, you know, with everything technology, it would still be good to check with your local FSA staff to make sure that if that's the route you go to that it actually went through and that they received your application.
1: Awesome, um, Annie, I had a couple questions just this morning about that September through December period of the CFAP payment. Obviously we don't know milk production for those months yet because they haven't happened. So how should producers calculate their projected production and payment for that that last couple of months of the payment period?
3: Yes, I do think that portion uh, can be a little bit confusing because of the whole, you know, multiply by 122, is- you know, it's $122, uh, you know, uh, milk production, 100 weights. So basically uh, what uh, producers need to do is, you know, the part from April 1 to August 31 is the most straightforward. is the actual milk production volume from that period. Now to estimate the September to December, you need to go back to the April 1 to August 31 period and find the daily average. And so for example, if in that whole period, uh, your daily average production was, let's take an easy number, uh, 10 pounds a day. Um, then you, what you would do for the September 1 to December 31 is multiply that 10 pounds per day by 122. And the 122 is basically the amount of days from September 1 to December 31. And so that's where that number is coming from. And so you basically just Kind of uh, forecasting your production to be the exact same daily as it was from April 1 to August 31. Now, Obviously, it won't be the case. Uh, but that's just the way that they're uh, doing it to keep this, you know, as straightforward as possible. So once you have, you know, those two totals that April 1 to August 31 and the September 1 to December 31, uh, then you multiply that by $1.20 per hundredweight and that's what will get you your total um, production, uh, total amount of payments that you should be receiving from this program.
1: Um, The last question, Annie, that I've been getting a lot is um, estimating payments, and that's a pretty easy process once you figure it out. So, can you talk to us a little bit about how members can estimate their payments and get a little bit of help filling in their applications?
3: Yes. And so, um, from what I just covered, you should be able to get an idea. But if you really want to put it to paper, you can actually go to farmers.gov on the dairy section, and there's um, there's an Excel spreadsheet uh, that you can just click on, open your computer you put your production on there, and it'll give you your estimate. Um, if you, you know, if you can't find it, if you have issues with it, you can always send me an email or a phone I've been working with some people and, you know, getting a, a closer number, so feel free to um, give me a call, and just like last time, um, there is a cap on payment, and so now if you capped last time, uh, you reset, you start over at zero, so that's the good news, um, but there's still the $250,000 cap, Uh, One of the good things about the cap, though, is that they've expanded who is eligible to uh, raise that cap. And so if you recall last time, with multiple people uh, working in the same entity, if it was a corporation, you could raise the cap up to $750,000. It's still the case, uh, but now they added trusts or estates to the types of businesses that, um, you know, can add more, um, you know, partners that can be uh, benefiting from the increased amount. As long as the person is Um, able to to justify 400 uh, hours of personal labor or management. And so hopefully more of our members can raise their caps and during the first round.
0: Well, thanks so much, Annie. And again, if any members have any more specific questions or need any help, they can reach out to any of us. My email is Darby, D-A-R-B-Y, at com, And Melissa and Annie I'm M-L-E-M-A
1: at wudairies.com.
3: And
0: Annie at wudairies.com. Well, thanks again to all of our listeners and a huge thank you to Annie, Cody, and Paul for making this week's episode possible. And remember, if you'd like information on sponsorship, you can reach out to the office at info at wudaries.com or call at 209-527-6453. And remember, you can also reach out to us with questions, comments, and content requests. Our podcast email is wud.pod at gmail.com.
1: Thanks so much, everyone. And remember to rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite listening platform. Have a great weekend.
0: While Western United Dairies respects the varied views of our podcast guests, please know that views expressed on Seen and Heard may not necessarily reflect the positions of the Western United Dairies Board of Directors. Thank you to
1: Western United Dairies' generous 2020 business sponsors: Gar Bennett, California Dairy Magazine, Farm Credit Alliance, FNR Ag Services. Moss Energy Works, Bennett Environmental, PG&E, and Yosemite Farm Credit. We appreciate our sponsors and thank them for their continued support. If you'd like more information on how to sponsor Western United Dairies or this podcast, please send us an email at info at WUdaries.com That's info at wu. D-A-I-R-I-E-S dot com.